Welcome back to Dummy Copy, a book show where we talk about books. My name is Carrie. I'm Claire. And we're recording in the bookstore tonight. Which we've never done before. We've never done before. And now I'm questioning why, because it's kind of perfect. I know, it's so fun. It's all, it's dark and it's spooky. Uh, My microphone is in my coffee cup (laughs) that I never wash. I've literally not washed it in three years. Right? A little rinse, maybe. I mean, I like dump the coffee out. Like, if I'm going to drink booze out of it. Yeah. I like do a little swirl, but it's got just like caked on brown yeah, yeah, shit yeah, 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 in yeah. it. And yeah. I just, I don't even feel bad about it. Cause no. do you know how much time I've saved not washing my coffee mug? You're being probably efficient. at least 10 minutes. Yeah. I think that's smart. You gotta like, you gotta <laughs> add that time on wherever you can. I think that's just efficiency right there. Yeah. Um, gotta hustle. Yeah. No, my it's, coffee it's mug. It's a grind set, Carrie. It's a grind set here at the bookstore. Okay. <laughs> it's important. We got shit to do. Yeah. No, my, my, my store coffee mug is questionable too. It's white, and sometimes I just realize there are just like rings around it. And yep. I'm just like, whatever. I'm just putting more coffee in it. It's just well, more we, coffee. We don't have a sink. We don't have a sink in our freight room. I mean, I I don't know. I don't. When if, I lived alone, I didn't wash my coffee. I know. That much, but, but it's also like, what? I'm supposed to go into the public restroom and rinse my coffee mug? Is that going to make it any better? Oh my I gosh. I have seen what happens in that public restroom. Okay. A lovely local author named Kate Lebo mm-hmm. made us a pie once, mm-hmm. and I wanted to return her pie tin to her and washed it in the bathroom and it was very embarrassing because it took a long time and people kept coming in and out. Oh, I hate that. That's the worst when you're trying to like do anything like I'm just washing my mug. I'm just getting more water for coffee, whatever, but you're in the... You're in the goddamn bathroom. Yeah. I know it's you fine. were just pooping, but here is a cl- yeah. clean dish I'm going oh, ro- to yes. to Kate Lebo. You did just see me at the info desk. I'm just making more coffee. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's fine. You know, it's good for the immune system. You know what that reminds me of is the time that we did an event with Eric Larson, which Ooh. was wonderful. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. Eric Larson is a very nice man. That was man. like the first big event yeah, after COVID where great. we could actually have yeah. people. Yeah, that was and awesome. And I like left. It was a big event. And I was stressed out about it. Went great. Went yeah. great. Sean yeah. Vestal, rock star. Oh my uh, God, he's so great. But I was like, I had to park my car far, kind of far away. And there's like a hotel right across the street from the bookstore. And I remember I'm like holding a can of Diet Coke and smoking a cigarette, like walking back to the store. And I see Eric Larson like... Carrying a banana for a nutritious <laughs> snack, and I was just like, "Really, really?" Well, that's, right now, that's the difference between um, successful <laughs> book writer and struggling book seller. <laughs> like, that's that's, that's uh, where the split is. And it was very nice. He he thanked me again, Aww. and it was yeah, nice man. He's a nice man. That yeah. was a great event. It was a great event. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're at the bookstore. Um, we. <laughs> It's been a it's been a fine day. I don't think anything too dramatic has happened today, except for the sea bugs. The sea bugs. We did spend the last twenty. Well, not the last twenty because we got this weird, insane rush right at the end of the night. But which look, like never happens. No, it was it was dead all day, and then everyone came in, and everyone had like really specific needs. Yeah. It wasn't just like I'm here to buy Louise Penny. It was like. Here's an obscure biography of Thierry Henry. Yeah, like very random, very weird. Um, It was like, it it truly was like the stress nightmares where you're trying to close. I've had these so many times where you're trying, it's like, okay, time to close. But like people keep flooding in and you can't stop them. And you're the only one there and you're helping one person and then five more people come in. It felt very much like, yeah, is this, am I Am I awake right now? Is in this my real dreams, life? like that, people are always really disser- dissatisfied with mm-hmm. my customer service. Yeah, and I had one memorable one where I just and it was it sounded just like this, and I woke up like clenching my teeth, and I just shouted at a man, "We're really good at our jobs." <laughs> I remember that one. I told you about the one where it was like early on working here, and I was here alone and I was trying to close and I couldn't get people to stop coming in. And then all of a sudden a car drove by again, this is a dream, a car drove by and they were blasting Hooba Stink, the band from Carrie's the favorite early band. aughts. My favorite band. No, no, no. Like seriously, her favorite band. Just because of the name alone. <laughs> I love the stank of Hooba. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> a, a car drove by blasting Hooba Stank and had that like crazy bass thing going and all of the windows we our bookstore is like 
the first floor, there are so many windows. It's kind of beautiful. You can see everything that's happening. Every single one of the first floor windows like burst out, like it just shattered. And then people just out of the blue were just like climbing through the broken windows trying to come in. And I called the owner of the store who in my dream was in Europe at the time. And I was like, this just happened. I don't know what to do. And he goes, well, how would you feel about just staying all night and making sure people don't get into the store? And just like this horrible stress dream of like, well, I guess I could do that. But I mean, they're seriously like, there are like 15 people climbing in through every broken window. I don't yeah, know how I'm going to make mean, that happen. How many how many feet of windows do you think it is? Like 200? Oh, it's, it's, it's a big it's store. It's a big store. It's all windows down there. It was horrible. I just remember waking up and <laughs> feeling so stressed out and like, borderline crying it was terrible work stress dreams are the worst um but before the flood of people we were looking up sea bugs i think oh yes sea bugs we were looking up sea bugs and found a story about some kid in australia who after a football game stood in the ocean for 30 minutes on ketamine definitely was not on ketamine something was happening because when he walked out his feet were just like pouring blood look it up there are photos it's wild it's wild and apparently all of these like tiny little sea bugs who generally feast on like dead crabs and shit apparently swarmed this kid's feet to the point where like they were it was just like pouring so blood. blood. It was so visceral and crazy. And it's like he sat he stood in the ocean while these little tiny bugs just ate his ankles for half an hour. Like, how do you not feel that? Like at some point you were like, Oh my god, my ankles are itchy and stingy. It was insane to me. Like and there's no, it's, all, it's insane. There yeah. is something that kid is not telling his something, parents. Yes, something, yes. Something weird was happening. That kid is not telling his parents and Men's Health Magazine and yeah. the BBC Australia. Yep, exactly. But, still, yeah. Wait, was it BBC Australia? Isn't Australia is like not even, it has nothing to do with <laughs> British broadcasting company anymore. anymore it probably, did right? at some point. I don't remember. We were, yeah. it was a Google image search and then. We were just, like, <laughs> clicking links, and we were like, what are these bloody feet? And then it just sent us down a path. So, you know, bookstore stuff. Yeah. Also, yeah. we sold some books. We sold some books. We helped some people. I sent um, 265 pounds of returns Hell yeah. back today. See? There you go. It's even, it's a light day. It's a light day. Yeah. Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't no thing. Uh, uh, yeah. um, oh, I guess we should talk about what we're going to talk yeah. about today. So well, this honestly, is our I violence like, and pain episode. Yeah, which I feel like the sea bugs segue right into that. <laughs> if we're talking about violence and pain, um, what better way to start than sea bugs eating some teenagers' ankles in <laughs> Australia? It's perfect. Um, yeah. So yeah, we would like to start today with a book that both Claire and I Loved um, a book by Felipe Snow called, uh, which as you know means violence. Um, Felipe Snow is uh, essentially an art critic um, based in the UK. Uh, she started out, she has a background in art school universe, um, thinking that she was going to go on to make art, but realized at some point along the line that the thing that was really compelling to her was not so much creating the art, but like explaining or taking apart, like what the art meant. Um, I am, this is an unpopular opinion. I love a critic. Yeah. I love a critic. Yeah. Like the best kind of criticism. And I feel like this is this book. Yeah. The best kind of criticism just like feels like an extension of being able to enjoy your favorite art. Right. And that was the whole thing. Feels like fan fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she was like just discussing the meaning of the works that she was consuming or like writing about the works that she was trying to create. Like that's where her passion lied. Um, and, uh, there's a quote she says uh to her criticism is about disassembling the art object in order to figure out how it all works so it's basically like okay i'm looking at this thing i'm feeling feelings about it let's do a deep dive into why that is and she's kind of known for um kind of spanning the spectrum she she is really really good at talking about sort of like highbrow art opening stuff but then she'll also like just like bust out a really compelling essay about Lindsay Lohan so she she finds the value in like highbrow stuff and lowbrow stuff and she's kind of really really good at sort of explaining why all of that um it just sort of spans the human 
experience. Yeah. And it, it's pretty awesome. She's she's really, I didn't know about her until this book came out. Yeah. But I kind of am just like, all right, I'm on board to read whatever she ever writes forever. Because it's just really interesting and appealing. Yeah, and it also feels like more reflective of the way we consume things now. Mm-hmm. Like, I... I'm not not thinking about Lindsay Lohan. You know, I'm actually like probably not thinking about Lindsay Lohan. Like not most of the time, but, but this this actually does bring us probably to the subject of the book. So, which as you know, means violence. Mm-hmm, the subtitle is... is on self-injury as art and entertainment. Yep. And it uses the TV show Jackass. Mm-hmm to talk about self-injury in terms of art and sort of liberation. And so maybe we should start by saying, Carrie, what is your relationship with Jackass? Oh, man. Um, So I I am the perfect age to have uh, sort of come of age in the Jackass era, Um, which is interesting. It it feels... and she even says this in the book, it feels very much like a post 9-11 thing, but it actually, Jackass started before that. Um, and I just remember watching it and being so compelled, as I'm sure many of us were, but so just like, I've never seen anything like this on TV. These guys are just like, uh, uh, it's just this other level of human existence a little bit. Like, they're just like doing all of this wild shit and like having a really good time um sort of this i don't know like i okay so i had a moment in 2020 where i was really stoked on four loco and it's not like the og four loco but it's still pretty intense and it was one of those things where i'm like i'm gonna drink three four locos and i'm gonna feel horrible tomorrow and part of the joy of doing this is the fact that i'm gonna feel horrible tomorrow Mm. and it's like this little piece of like feeling horrible is to feel alive. And I feel like that's kind of the sweet spot of why Jackass appealed to me as an angsty whatever, you know. No, because it does, it makes like kind of a, um, like a skewed sense to a certain kind of person. Like I feel like it always does. Yeah. Yeah, I would also just like to note that this is um, probably the same period where we got very interested in competitive eating, yes, right? Yes, yes, it is the yeah. same period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is the same kind of thing. Like competitive eating is not a comfortable sport. Yeah. Are any sports comfortable if you're really like professional at it? Probably not. But there's a special kind of category, I think, no, for no, competitive no, it's eating. No, no, it's also insane and there's not. Okay. I, I, yeah. Carrie, yeah. Carrie bought me a book about competitive eating for Christmas. And I have many <laughs> thoughts, especially in <laughs> reference to Jackass, about about this. I feel yeah. like that ties in. Um, yeah. I feel like I feel like it totally ties in. Um but yeah, and I also, do you want to elaborate on that? Do you want to talk about that at all? Um, this is a little I, bit of a deviation, but I'm down for it. Yeah, no, yeah. I actually feel like it would maybe belong later in the episode. Okay, yeah, okay. Because I think that the reasons that people do competitive eating are different than anybody Philippa Snow talks about yeah. in this book. Yeah. Horseman of the Esophagus. It's out of print. Highly recommend. It's also <laughs> such a brilliant That's title. That's the best title Come I have ever on. heard. <laughs> um, but, but to, I guess, to pivot back to, which as you know, means violence. Um, uh, Snow kind of uses Jackass as a really effective entry point into the world of sort of that like I don't want to say weirdo art in in a in a like a shitty way because every time I say something's weird it's mostly like I love I love something that's weird I'm yeah. into weird that's kind of my jam um, but it's a really good entry point into the sort of the world of performance art which is kind of weird to begin with but specifically self-injury as performance art and what that means. Yeah, and she she's really inclusive in the, the term performance art. Like, she notes that the jackass men, like, uh, reject that title, but then she also talks about, like, YouTube stars. So mm-hmm. she is, like, really, she's really yeah. broad. Well, and yeah. I think this is a perfect example of, of, of that thing that she's known for, where she sort of interrogates highbrow and lowbrow mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. with the same level of like intellectual curiosity and really is looking at the overlap because there is some and you wouldn't necessarily think of Jackass as performance art and like you said they wouldn't well, label like, it that except Jackass 3D premiered at MoMA yeah. didn't it? Yeah. Well and it is like I think <laughs> no and does... I think that's what's so cool about Jackass it's, it speaks to us 
like everybody knows it, it's more than what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and there's like there's this point in the book where she talks about um, uh, like like previous generations we're always trying to sort of create a, a utopia. We're trying mm-hmm. to create like the perfect existence or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the next generations kind of kick against it. And so if like the people who came before us were like, oh, suburban lifestyle, that's that's where it's at. That's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the jackass boys were 100 percent kicking against suburbia, you know, like they're out there doing all of this shit, weird shit that that just spits in the face of like whatever they're parents were trying to kind of yeah, create. Yeah, well, even, like, the, the tongue-in-cheek thing about, like, so, Johnny Knoxville's real name is PJ Clapp, <laughs> which is, like, <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna do a jackass show, you should probably just keep the name PJ, PJ Clapp. PJ Clapp is kind of perfect yeah. for that, yeah. But, I mean, it also feels like sort of a, like a, you know, it feels like a comment on, uh, you know, like, late 90s Americanism, right? Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he is Johnny Knoxville and he has that twang. Yeah. Like, it right. is, like, tethering himself to something. And also, like, one of his first stunts yeah. was big brother. shooting himself with a desert eagle or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Like, going, yeah, going out into a, a secluded area, yeah. putting on a bulletproof vest and shooting himself in the chest, saying... I, uh, this is Johnny Nashville. This is Johnny Nashville. I am America. And then yeah. shooting himself in the chest. And I don't, yeah, yeah, those things are supposed to protect you from that. But like, it's still pretty crazy. And I mean, like, yeah, it's just, it, you can't. So she kind of starts from that point and then kind of branches out into things that would be considered wild, like widely considered performance art yeah um no and i so the one thing i love about this book is she talks about she opens everybody's going to hear me flipping the pages that's fine this is a Uh, real book guys yeah she opens talking about slavo zizek's uh eccentric discursive essay film the pervert's guide to cinema and at the end of it, um, she she says, I hope this book is just, like, far-ranging. And this book is truly discursive, so it's essentially mm-hmm. divided into four parts. Yeah. And every part, like, echoes and builds on the part before, but also manages to be its own thing. Um, so, the like, the first chapter, aside from the introduction, is, like, essentially telling us what jackass means to mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Um, and I think that this can be distilled by one critic calling them voodoo medics of the post-9-11 era, mm-hmm. which feels really true to me. And it feels yeah. like, and the, um, like almost like sacrificial lamps for all this sort of like dark, unknowable pain we're yeah. all feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you think about like, you're talking about crazy recessions, you're talking about like quiet wars waged outside of our sort yeah, of for, direct vision. For, like, reasons that are increasingly feeling more and more illegitimate, yeah. but also felt very right at the time. Yeah. Like, I was thinking a lot about, I mean, in 2001, like, all kinds of people were having all of these, like, weird, G, like, this weird jingoistic nationalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember. I was six. But, yeah. <laughs> but even, yeah. like, and in that first in that first part, we were talking about sort of the connection between Johnny Knoxville and Chris Curtin. Oh, yeah. Thompson. Yeah. Oh, Chris Curtin, yeah. too, yeah. yes. But I was going the Hunter S. Thompson. So, so the title of the book comes from a message Hunter S. Thompson left on Johnny Knoxville's machine saying, I'm going to be in town. I'm out to have a good time, which, as you know, usually means violence. And Philippa very- Snow is yeah. like... Nobody thinks that. Yeah. These people <laughs> These think people that. These people do. Yeah. And there's a quote in the first section uh, from Hunter S. Thompson, um, and it is, I'm just going to read it. What do you say? He had written in the 80s, ruminating on the dual threats of the spread of HIV V yeah. and acid rain. What do you say about a generation that has been taught that rain is poison and sex is death? And I do think I've thought about this on my own time a lot because I was, I was born in 1982, mm-hmm. you know, like right in the in the middle of what he's talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And it is like, my whole life has been this like, sort of like, just like cascading calamities and tragedies, you know? And like, and then on top of that, it's like, I was raised on uh, uh, like crazy daytime television. And I was raised on like the rise of uh, 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 reality TV and like yeah. all of these insane yeah. things that are like, what am I supposed to think about the world when this is the lens through which I've absorbed it, you know? Yeah. And like, and I think Jackass is 100% directly attached to the fact that, like, 
me and people right above me, like I'm an elder millennial, um, but like generation X people, like how do you, what are you, what are you supposed to do? But like go out in a field and shoot yourself in the chest. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. And I, I weirdly feel like the zoomers are kind of clocking this, mm-hmm. like all of the memes about how you want to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I mean, I do. I mean, I also, yeah. Well, and I do, I yeah. think Gen X is the beginning of the end of the American dream, you know, cause Gen X came that that's, Right, the boomers coming promised us everything and, and yeah. fucked us over at every yeah, turn and then they the possibly millennials could. Came on and was like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So like, yeah. I mean, yeah. What do you expect? Like, in a world, uh, in a world gone mad, like, what are you supposed to do? But kind of, yeah, react. No, in that first part, I mean, and this is this feels like this feels like her sort of like opening up the world to you at the end. She talks about. She ends with, I'm going to quote her, like the idea that these performance artists, artists, uh, (laughs) including a man named Chris Burden, who we'll talk about at length later, uh, the idea that these people are reckless and cunning enough to have stolen fire from the gods. And that's what makes sense to me. Like that, like that sort of the the freedom and the power you get Mm -hmm. from sort of like aberrant behavior. Like that was something I clued into. which leads us into the second part, mm-hmm. which is really close to my heart. Like this, this section deals a lot with gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so my history with Jackass, um, so I am a little bit younger than Carrie mm-hmm. and I remember encountering Jackass when I was like young, like probably eight or nine yeah. and just feeling like elated. Like yeah. I remember just being like, I do not understand why I, like, it did. It felt like like a weird, it felt like they were figuring something out for me, and I didn't have the language for it. Um, And then I also had the same feeling that I had when I watched the movie Stand By Me, Mm -hmm. is like, this feels like it's not available to me because I'm a girl. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but Felipe Snow does, like, such an amazing job, like, complicating it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so she spends a lot of time with um, female performance artists, and in this chapter, like, makes the point, um, I don't even know if it's the point she's making. She's so good at just, like, bouncing back and forth and, like, just, like, sort of circling around herself and saying... And saying everything, even if it's a little contradictory, because, I mean, she is. She's, like, uh, able to encompass all worlds. Mm -hmm. But she does loosely, I think, make the point that um, feminine art that involves pain is always going to, like, necessarily reference that we are used to feeling pain Mm -hmm. as women. Yeah. Like, she talks about... um, Yeah, she talks about how the idea of a female Christ. Yeah. Like, it's not going to work because we're so used to seeing a woman strung up and naked and in pain. Yeah. Uh, And then there's a vomit artist, quote-unquote, named uh, Millie Brown, (laughs) who, like, I mean, every every critic is like, oh, is this about bulimia? She's like, no. Yeah. But it's going to, it is always going to reference that, necessarily. And she quotes Picasso. I've become obsessed with Picasso's mistresses (laughs) in the last... (laughs) few years of my life and I forget what he says but I think it's something like uh like women are machines for pain and so I think that all like performance art by women like necessarily acknowledges that yeah yeah but then she also sort of makes like she uh but then she also does a like a wonderful job noting that like femininity is constructed like Mm -hmm. mostly in this like uh, she spends a lot of time with Nina Arsenault, who is a trans woman yeah. who um, sort of makes her transition and her various surgeries um, a part of her art and kind of a purification ritual almost. Yeah. Like she does a lot of self-flagellating and a lot of fasting. Yeah. But she also like is like femininity turned up to yeah, like yeah. they talk about how she looks like Jessica Rabbit, <laughs> yeah. and Mattel wanted her to be Barbie. Yeah, well, yeah. And it's interesting. Like in her things, the the self flagellation. She spent two hours whipping herself while riding a stationary bike. Yeah. Um, and there's another one, Lilix, that she did. Um, so she like lived in an art gallery in London for six days and just did these 
performance art things, one like part of it, she would like dance. She would go into these sort of like trance-like states and would dance for like hours and hours and hours at a time, all while putting cigarettes out on her body in different sort of like tender spaces. And they talk about how like, all the while, all of these things, like you can see the pain happening on her body. There is no denying what's happening is painful, but she would not show like even an instance of reaction to these horribly painful things, which was, it's, it's so like, I I don't know that you can deny that that's art. It's, it's weird art. It's uncomfortable art, but it's, it is like it's saying something. It also feels like quintessentially female pain to me. Yeah. Right? Well, because we're expected to ignore yeah. the pain of our own existence all the time. Yeah. Uh, I feel I, like it's 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 feminist art, and it's also, I mean, it probably it speaks to sort of like the queer experience or the trans experience, yeah. you know? Like, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I feel like... I mean, con- constructed womanhood, like, yeah. makes sense to me as a mm-hmm. cis person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, like, it's just, it's just, and it, it reminds me of, she talks about, um, Mariana, uh, Abramovic a lot too, who is a Siri, uh, Serbian, excuse me, Serbian, um, performance artist. And she had a piece called Rhythm Zero that she did in 1974, um, where she set up, uh, there was a, a table with 72 objects on them. Um, and some of them were safe or whatever, but like, also included like a knife and guns and like shit. And then she just stood in an art gallery for a gun with a bullet, loaded bullet into one it. bullet loaded yeah. into it. Yeah. And stood there silently, didn't react to anything. I, and I think that's really interesting about like the women that snow talks about in this book. Like so much of it is like withstanding pain without reacting to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but rhythm zero is she just stood there and let, all of the people in attendance do whatever they wanted to her for a set period of time. And she didn't react. Um, and it culminated in, it was kind of like whatever to begin with. And then people are cutting her clothes off and people are cutting her with a knife. And I think like the end point was somebody putting the gun in her hand, posing her hand up to her head and like going to pull the trigger and somebody intervened. Yeah. I mean, and they and um, yeah, Philip is now so canny. Or I mean, I mean, probably Marina Abramovic is so canny. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, they sort of make the point that her, the art piece was the audience yeah. in that moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this, this all, like, this all is so revelatory. But then I also was so um, like amazed by how Philippa tried, tied it back to jackass. I know. No, and yeah. their their construction of gender. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and she sort of points out like the obvious homoeroticism of it too and the way that it becomes sort of part of the shtick Mm -hmm. almost like that that they are like she talks about Johnny Knoxville's voice being feminized about 25% and also he's like super hot like she makes the point that he is like a good looking guy yeah he is he just is I had oh man I had such a crush well maybe that's the root of my transcendent feelings about Jackass but yeah (laughs) um but yeah, and I don't know, and I, I, like it speaks to me. I don't know. I don't know that this was explicit. So it's funny. I read. I read this in October, and yeah. you've read it more recently. You read it in October as well, but have reread it more recently. Yeah. But I feel like I don't know if she talks about this explicitly in it. But I feel like in some ways it's like, oh, men can only be intimate with each other through the lens of like doing violence. She doesn't. She doesn't talk about that, yeah. but she does. But she does talk about. Um, and I and I I do think, and I think she thinks this. Mm-hmm. I, the jackass men do not think this. Yeah, she thinks about them more as performance artists than stuntmen. Yeah. And so I think that it makes sense that they the most interesting version of the performance art is ways where they are um, like subverting gender. Yeah, you know, which they which. Like, it's such a light touch. Like, I just, like, do not think that they're not unaware of it. Or maybe it's just, like, you know, you're aware of the way that, uh, like, I don't think anybody can ever say why things are funny necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like, we can do it, but mostly we know it innately. Yeah. You know? Well, like, I mean, I feel like, so, like, we've had this conversation, not not to, like, go off on a tangent, but we've had conversations about, like, what is the value of, like, art criticism you know like what is the value of like 
what Philippe Snow is doing here. And I think that's it. Sometimes it is really hard to articulate, like, why is it that this thing is this thing? Why am yeah. I having this emotional reaction to this yeah. thing? And I think she's really good at it. Like, in this book, she's really good at sort of unpacking those things and going, like, oh, shit. Like, yeah, like... I mean, I don't know. She talks about so much more than Jackass. So I don't want this to feel like this is like a book about Jackass. Because yeah. it's not. No. But it's a really interesting entry point, And I think it's a like a deft entry point into this kind of. No, absolutely. And I, I mean, and I also feel like it feels so joyful. Yeah. And so it's so just like jam packed. Like yeah. my like it's it's not long. It's 200 pages. Mm-hmm. It's little. It's got big margins. Yeah. Um, and it's. It just, I mean, and it just feels like it spills out. Like, it, I mean, it feels like you're, like, talking to your friend who already agrees with you right. at a bar. And is also way yeah. smarter than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're like, I feel like Jackass says something about, like, post-9-11 culture. And they're like, oh, yeah, like, Chris Burden did that thing during the Vietnam War where he had his friend shoot him. Yeah. Like, which is it really, <laughs> Chris Burden, if we're, I mean, like. Well, that's the thing. Like, I feel like yeah. this book is so great because it's 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 great because it's very accessible, but it introduces you to so many things that you didn't necessarily know about. You know, like yeah, like she's so good at just like like looping in all of these artists that like you've heard about. Like I've I had heard about Rhythm Zero before, you yeah. know, but like not to that extent. And and so many people, you know, like Bob Flanagan, you know, or Chris Burden, like people who have been doing this work for a long time that I wasn't aware of, but it like, it just instantly kind of resonated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's really, it's just so goddamn good. It's very good. Yeah. Um, so this feels like a really great book. I mean, I think people who are already well-versed in this world will get something out of this book, but I also feel like it's a great starting point if you're like, I want to know more about weirdo art. I want to know about performance art. I want to know about what people are doing. And I feel like I kept having moments in this book where she would introduce someone I didn't know. And all I wanted to do was go find out, like, what's the documentary? What's the book about this person? What else have they done? Like, mm-hmm. there was a lot of really interesting stuff that she introduced to me personally. Um, me too. And then we talked to Jai and he was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah that okay. guy's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. This person. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, there's an artist named Bob Flanagan who was really compelling to me. Um, an American artist who had cystic fibrosis and was, uh, well, he started, he, he was a poet, but he was also really tied in to sort of the extreme BDSM, uh, community. Um, and like his whole, I don't know. So I, people with cystic fibrosis are not, like generally they don't live too much longer beyond their twenties. Like it's, it's pretty standard. Um, he lived into his forties and he kind of explored BDSM and, and the, the, I don't know, the experience of, of pain as pleasure in as a way to sort of like combat his, uh, cystic fibrosis, um, in 1989, one of his main things, there was a, a, a an art piece called nailed, which was sort of released in conjunction with this research book, which research does really interesting things or did um, called Modern Primitives, which honestly, I bought that book when I was like 17. Because oh, I was really I into body that. modification yeah. stuff. So it's interesting that this was in conjunction with that. Um, but essentially, um, it was a live performance where he nailed his penis uh, to a board while singing If I Had a Hammer. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, yeah. That was that was yeah. Bob Flanagan. Okay. Yeah. Um, he also had a couple of different, he had a, a, a book release called The Fuck Journal, which is impossible to get now. I know, because I looked after reading about him <laughs> in this book, I was like, I'm interested. Um, but he also has one called The Pain Journal, which is um, sort of his end of life journals as he's he's essentially, he's dying. Um, and it's a really intense, I've only read a little bit of it, Jai, our coworker Jai, who knows, he is the, the, uh, uh, he just knows everything about everything interesting in the world. I'm convinced of this. But Jai was like, oh, do you want to read that? I have it. I'll loan it to you. <laughs> it's like, it's, and you just like can't yeah. get it otherwise, yeah. right? Yeah. But uh, Bob Flanagan, it was sort of this reaction to like, I've been told from the day I was born that I'm dying. And so how do you kind of deal with that psychic weight? And this is how 
he did it, and it's really interesting. Yeah, there was an amazing, so there was a documentary that was made, uh, like, sort of simultaneously with the pain journals where he was dying, and do you remember that scene? So it seems like he has, like, sort of, like, normal, quote-unquote, parents, Mm -hmm. and there, like, is this amazing scene that Philippa Snow describes about them, like, sort of, like, obviously, like, not totally, like, it's not their world, you know, but, like, just, like, really accurately nailing down why their son loves this kind of art and why he's so good at it. And it was so touching to me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, it's an amazing, yeah, it's an amazing scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Somebody that I was really interested in and uh, is an artist named Ron Athey, Mm -hmm. who was raised to be like essentially a like a prophet. Like a prophet, right? yeah. like an ecclesiastical prophet. Yeah. Um, uh, shoot, I forget what his denomination is. Bad Claire. Were they Pentecostal? They were Pentecostal, because yeah. yeah. those are the people who speak in tongues. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's raised in a non-denom church, so I have to do my research. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but he was like raised to be a prophet, but unfortunately, unfortunately he was gay. Right, and so, so that, his yeah. family rejected him outright. Yeah, but a lot of his art was like sort of um, circled around. Uh, he was HIV positive. Mm-hmm. He had he had AIDS, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and essentially viewed it as a death sentence, as it was for many people. And he actually survived a lot longer than a lot of people yeah. in that era did. But he made a lot of art with his own blood. Yeah. Which, which was, was, like, transgressive. Yeah. And and also, like, uh, got state funding for some of it. Yeah. Some of it, which obviously people freaked out about. Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course they did. <laughs> um, yeah, but he was he was super wonderful to read about. Um, and then I think that maybe the last thing I want to talk about, I'm not like super familiar with the work of Harmony Corinne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like certainly not like yeah. in his like no. 90s heyday, right. like but stealing he did, like, from Mayor, Mayor, right. or Meryl Streep in the green yeah. room of the, <laughs> of the night late night shows or whatever. But he's responsible for kids, which I do remember kids coming out. And I do remember people being like, <gasps> like clutching their pearls over like, oh my God, teenagers having sex and doing drugs. And being shitty, and I was like, "Yeah, oh, yeah man. teenagers don't do that." No, I've I heard, never did that. Never. Um, he also did Gummo, which is a sort of iconic, fucked up film. Um, but he had a project that never came to fruition called Fight Harm, um, and he abandoned it ultimately due to like, like sustaining really serious injuries and also like lawsuits, and he was put in prison. I mean, like it was a whole thing. But the idea was that it was going to be a comedy. It was going to be the funniest movie ever made. Um, And it was based on just Harmony Corinne going out into the world and verbally provoking fights with people who were bigger than he was. He's a small man. He's not a large man. No, not at all. Um, And so, yeah, like the rules were he couldn't throw the first punch and he, he had to pick a fight with someone bigger than him. And they wouldn't stop him unless he was like... Pa- the, the crew would right. not stop the fight unless yeah. he was yeah. like passed out so and somebody was going to kill him. A small crew of people following him around while he's like talking shit to people on the streets of New York or whatever. Yeah. And then like there's some part of it where he's like, oh yeah. And then I realized because he was like envisioning it's going to be like a 90 minute feature yeah. film. It's, it's going to be so shown funny. at the malls like, you know. And then suddenly, like, he at some point had to sort of be like, no, this is not realistic. This well, is not good. I mean, work. and I remember, he said, most hardcore fights only last, like, two minutes. Right. So like, he's, like, sustaining all of these injuries and right. it's, like, 20 minutes like, of footage. I know. Like, if you're going to do that, that's a lot of fight. You got to yeah. get real fucked up to make that a feature-length yeah. film. No, and she, like, kind of addresses, like, his sort of place mm-hmm. in the culture really well. But there's, I mean, it is, it just, like, feels... It feels so tender to me yeah. that she sort of puts him in conversation with Buster Keaton. I know, yeah, right. and it yeah. totally makes sense. And about like, um, like Pratt Falls as an mm-hmm. act of generosity, yeah, which I really love. And then there's this. So I, I mean, I was a ballet dancer for most of my life, and there's this like really amazing quote from Maggie Nelson. It was like, oh, when I was dancing, they encouraged us to fall in rehearsal so that we could know, like, just how far a given movement could go, and then it like. 
fits the whole range of expression. And it was like, yes, that is, that's the training I got too. And that like also feels, it feels a little bit like the way I still live my life. Yeah. yeah. Can I just say <laughs> that I love how your ballet life sort of like <laughs> wanders into like the random things we're talking about sometimes. Like it's so just like, uh, I don't know. I just think it's it's charming and wonderful. Oh, so thank it's you. Oh, Carrie, thanks. So the second book we plan to talk to you about this episode is a book called I Fear My Pain Interests You mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. Stephanie LaCava. And last week, I was having this moment of, God. <laughs> it's like, do they, do they relate to each other? And then I showed up to work like two days ago, mm-hmm. and you were like, oh, did you read the Philippa Snow review <laughs> of I Fear My Pain Interests You? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I, I do feel like these books talk to each other. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think they totally do. Yeah, so I Fear My Pain Interests You is um, about a, a, a young woman. I think she is under 21, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, under 21, who is raised by, like, punk rock royalty. Yes. Like, pretty much. Like, mm-hmm. people approach her on airplanes because of her birthmark, her very distinctive birthmark, and talks to her about her parents' glory days. Yes. Um, But she also has a congenital condition where she cannot feel pain. Yes. Yes. Uh, And, uh, yes, so essentially the book follows her, like it kind of flashes back and forth between her life, but the sort of meat of the book is about her fleeing New York after having a, uh, I don't know, a relationship with a middle-aged, very famous director. Mm-hmm. Which is, he's named the director yes, in the book. Which will, yep. become, uh, will become important. Mm-hmm. And then traveling to her friend's house in Montana to sort of escape everything. Yeah. And then meeting a man who uh, will not she calls him Graves, yeah. meeting another man who kind of racks her shit. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Who won't tell her his real name. But they met in a graveyard, yep. so, he, so is Graves. he is Graves. Yes. Yeah. Um, and a really interesting premise. Like, it's really interesting to think, like, okay, a person who can't experience physical pain, and what does that mean for her existence? Yeah, and it also... Um, you know, and I was really drawn to this book. It like feels like a very f- familiar thing, particular mm-hmm. to me as a woman, mm-hmm. of you know the pain of seeking out men who do not care about your emotions. Sure. Like the director doesn't. The director kind of has her on a string, mm-hmm. which is yeah. one of my favorite phrases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Graves ultimately kind of does too. Yeah. 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 No, it's interesting. And, like, yeah, that first meeting between she and Graves. So, like, she's riding her bike and has a, like, a like a pretty gnarly crash um, right outside of a graveyard and mm-hmm. doesn't know because she can't feel it. You know, like, she, she literally cannot feel pain. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, like, it, it turns out he was, what, an, he's, he's some sort of... He was a trauma surgeon. Trauma surgeon, yes. Um, and so he is... Very interested in her sort of condition. Um, and so they start up a, a relationship, sort of, so to speak. But it is also very apparent that he wants to experiment on yes. her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was an interesting book. It's very detached feeling. Yeah, which which is a, which is a device. Yeah, like I, I I often I kept going back to it. Didn't quite work for me. I'm gonna hmm. bury the lead a little bit yeah. here. Like. Um, and it and it makes sense. Like mm-hmm. it makes sense that she is detached mm-hmm. in the way that like young women who are always hurting themselves. Yeah, like she has like mm-hmm. kind of a pill addiction for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, yeah. Well, and it speaks to. I mean, it's sort of like um, uh, like a like a, a the narrative of like the daughter of. I'm a I'm the daughter of yeah. someone who was important. No, you know? and it and it and it, it's sort of like in reviews of which I read a lot because mm-hmm. it was like it was something I read and I like I was kind of like okay where's the other half yeah <laughs> like, yeah 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 yep 
again. And so I, I went to reviews, sort of like searching for something that would have answers to me, for me. I mean, and it, and it is like it's like oh, it's like a send up of like uh, you know, like coolness mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Like, and I just, I just like, she is very cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting. She's very cool, but the cool points don't mean anything necessarily personally to her. Yeah. You know? Like, um, I don't know. It was, it was definitely a book that I had high hopes for and the premise of it is very interesting and it's sort of explaining like what is an existence where you don't feel physical pain mean you know like what are the repercussions of that like yeah and also like has a lovely echo where she has a really absent parents mm-hmm. and it's sort of like parents who are ignoring her emotional pain yeah and so it's like a really it's like making a joke to Carrie. It's like the opposite of a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like a really like neat allegory, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like her, yeah. like they ignore her physical pain, but she can't feel it. But yeah. her emotional pain is very, yeah. like it's, it's also not very present. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I don't know. It's so funny. I was a little stoned last night doing some prep for this and I was reading a review and I had this moment I had this moment of just like, oh, like I was like making these connections and I was like, oh my God, life without physical pain, da, da, da. And I had this like epiphany moment. And as soon as I had it, I lost it. Oh no. <laughs> like I yeah. was like, I got to write this down. And then I went to write it down and I was like, oh my God, it's gone. But I think part of that epiphany, as much as I can remember it in my sober brain, was a life without pain is not necessarily worth not not worth living but like in that moment I was like oh shit if you can't feel pain then you can't feel the whole expanse of human emotion yeah no and I feel like that dovetails nicely with like I cannot overstate how many reviews of this book I read because I yeah. was so confused by the critical reaction. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they, they like a bunch of reviews. Like essentially, what they were asking is like, if it doesn't fix physically hurt, does it still hurt? I mean, yeah. and I feel like that speaks to the emotional detachment too. Yeah. Like if you yeah. are already detached, how like how upset are you that men are? shirking you, you know? And I I actually feel like that's a flaw in the book. It's like, Mm -hmm. I do, I mean, I deeply remember being 20 years old and Mm -hmm. the pain of a man to have... I love the phrase having me on a string. I just, like, always want to, like, make the... Yeah. (laughs) No, and I, I... deeply remember that and she seeks out those relationships mm-hmm. yeah. right like and those that, are those are the ones that kind of stick and that her. feels like a really specific kind of yeah. pain but I think that's something that Lakava doesn't do that well mm-hmm. is like uh making you feel that like she's yeah. she is so detached and that yeah. serves a purpose and that works well yeah especially as like the cool girl progen- like progeny of like uh, punk royalty, mm-hmm. but like yeah. it 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 is it just like the ten the tender parts being sort of ignored like mm-hmm. makes it feel a little f- yeah flat yeah well it's interesting like so I I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording a little bit like as a person who has dealt with like depressive episodes for a mm-hmm. while like. The detachment, like, to me, the part that resonated with with me the most Mm -hmm. of this book is, like, she gets to Montana. She's sort of, like, dissociating completely. She has these moments of just, like, I'm just laying around in this really beautiful sort of, like, mid-century kind of, like, estate in Montana. But she's just laying around. She can't eat. She can't whatever. She doesn't feel anything. And it's, like, no, that checks out you know like to me like uh, like I I I really I feel like the conveyance of sort of like that total numbness of just like I I don't know like what I got from it is like what's the point of existence if you can't feel any of it like yeah it sucks and like in in my darkest moments in my personal history those are the moments where just like what is the point of being here if like none of it registers as anything and I think that part was pretty interesting Mm -hmm. um but I do feel like I and I also sorry I'm so sorry I also feel like the moments 
they're like I mean it, it, it is fully the first half of the mm-hmm. book is sort of like charting her childhood and adolescence with mm-hmm. absent parents yeah. and a very controlling grandmother mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- I mean, and those are really resonant parts yeah. to me, the way well, she's like, ex- explaining that. Yeah, like, like, it's like even like her grandfather is like this sort of legendary jazz yeah. figure. So it's like she, it's like this pedigree of like yeah. grandfather, jazz guy, parents, folk punk people, yeah. you know? So like she's coming from this lineage of like yeah. important people. Yeah. And she's like trying to be an actress. She got kicked out of college for drug shit you know like yeah. she's just sort of not like living up to what people would expect from this like sort of royalty background okay I have one one thing to say about yeah, that and please. I actually feel I actually feel like it was like sort of an authorial mistake maybe there's like one moment where the director is talking to her about a South American author mm-hmm. and she says uh, this is not a direct quote she says he mispronounced his name, and once when I was short of money, I reviewed her work for a magazine, mm-hmm. and I was just like, that, that it broke for me yeah. a little bit. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Sorry, you're a college student. Yeah. You're not getting paid. No. No matter who your parents yeah. are to write about a South American offer, Probably you're reading and translation. And if you're getting paid for it, it's like maybe 50 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was like, it, it's one of those books where like, there was so much promise, and the premise is really interesting. The and premise is really interesting, and the writing is amazing. It's like, great. Again, all of the family yeah. stuff, I was so on board for. Yeah. Yeah. But again, this is another one that I, I read a while ago at this mm-hmm. point. And to prep for the show, I read many reviews, mm-hmm. and so many of them are so glowing. Yeah. And I just was like, what did I what did I miss in this reading? Well, this was something we talked about a lot because they talks about it as being like absurdist and so yeah. I, I sort of was like looking for this this time around yeah because again you read this very recently yeah. yeah and I and I yeah I don't know and it, and it was like it was that's why I read so many reviews because it was so readable and yeah. it was like it, it is really smart and it's really cool yeah well like, and that's the thing yeah. like I read this in a sitting like I it was one of those books that like I didn't put it down yeah. like there was at there was no point where I was just like meh I'm going to skip. And I'll tell you what, I will abandon shit. Yeah. Just ruthlessly. Like, I'm constantly being like, 50 pages in, nope, next one. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that with this book, mm-hmm. which says something positive about it, for sure. But, like, I just... It's that moment where I'm like, am I missing something or is something missing? You know, like, yeah. I kind of feel like that's where I was at with this one. No, and I kind of had the feeling that maybe it was missing 150 pages. It could have been longer. It's yeah. a very, it's a short book. Yeah. There's not, a, there's not a huge page count. No, and um, I just, like, felt like everything didn't, like, quite get, like, knitted up. Yeah. I mean, and not that I need, like, I, I don't need everything to be, like, it has a really sudden ending. Yeah. I am on board for that yeah 99% of the time but I just like uh, don't poets talk about endings being earned I don't think the ending was earned well I think it's funny we both had we both in our notes have the same quote from the same (laughs) Guardian article or review um, that says its problem as a novel is that it just doesn't seem very interested in being a novel and there are like so many aspects that are really interesting and really subversive and like and I don't know like again like I can't this is my own self as a reader I can't help but feel like I I missed something in the reading but I don't think that's true because you had the same yeah. response our coworker Jai who is beyond reproach had the same yeah. response like there was just something in it that didn't quite mesh yeah it didn't quite yeah and I feel like that quote is so apt like it's problem as a novel right like if it was something else yeah it would work yeah yeah but it was I mean and I, I don't know I don't I don't feel like it's unworthy of reading no I think there are a lot of really interesting points to it and there are a lot of ways where um Stephanie LaCava sort of like subverts what we expect in a novel you Mm -hmm. know like it's just like I just feel like 
I, it, I think he's like 20 to 50 more pages or yeah, something. Yeah, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't even want more clarifying pages. Yeah, like, yeah. I would maybe even want more, like, uh, like more, uh, like, complicating pages, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. No, and I, it did. I mean, it was really, she, I mean, she is, like, an amazing pro stylist, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, and it does, it, and it does this amazing thing where it kind of, um, I feel like it can be kind of a trap where characters are like explaining their own psychology to you and that can be really boring. Mm-hmm. But she does like enough where the reader has to make inferences where yeah. it is it is like really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read her I think it's her first novel, the Super Rationals. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And that Yeah. And that was but that didn't have the same flaws. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And it might just be that I wanted more from this. Like I, I am, a, I am a woman interested in female suffering. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah, but I do. I mean, there is there is something interesting in the idea of like full sort of d- detachment from, yeah, yeah, your own experience or just like an existence in which like shit happens. And you kind of feel it, but you don't fully feel it, you yeah. know? I'm like, and what does that say? I mean, like, a, a, an existence without pain is probably not an existence, you know? Like, I mean, I, I do feel like, to get to, like, no pleasure without pain or whatever. But, like, what would that be like? Like, if you did, yeah. if you had an existence that's fully without, like, pain, painful things do not register to you. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. And I think that's a really compelling thing to explore, you know? And again, as a as a person who have, I've gone through periods where I just can't feel anything, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, that sucks. And that, like, I feel like she nails that sort of feeling of just, like, I just don't feel it. I don't feel anything. Yeah. Like, how do I, how do I move through the world when everything is just, you know? No, and I feel like that takes me back to um, Philippa Snow a little bit because I think about um, uh, in in my adult life, and I think I, I think I probably said this to you because it has become a little bit of a mantra to me, like, uh, feeling good is the is not the same as feeling not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that has to do with desire, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and Philippa Snow says in the introduction to, which as you know me of Neil's violence, like that cinema is teaching us not what to desire, but how to desire, which is something I was obsessed with in my early 20s. Like, yeah. how do you want things? How do you want things? And if you have no conception of pain, like, what is what does that mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, and it would, like, if your formative years are both devoid of physical pain and affection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, your yeah. parents are so absorbed in their own shit that they don't pay attention to how you feel. Like, what would the natural continuation of that life looks like look like and it probably is this it probably is just this weird sort of yeah and i i mean and i honestly feel like we've i mean it's it's a really tidy device mm-hmm. i mean i that sounds like i'm being diminishing of it like i i do i think the book has more the book is it's only a little flood mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. that's something I see in the women in my life all the time. Yeah. 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 Is, I mean, like, yeah, just sort of the, like, willingness to sort of bypass her own shit for the yeah. sake of others. And again, I mean, like, this book is less than 200 pages. I do think... It's worth your time. I think it's worth your time. Yeah. I mean, if for nothing else, again, I finished it, which I... I won't finish a thing unless it's compelling. You know, yeah. like, it is, it's this, like, very, very detached narrator who, you know, like, dissociates in really critical moments or whatever. But, like, it pulled me through to the end. Like, there was no way I was not going to finish yeah. this book. Yeah. But I do, I just, I, yeah, like, the reviews that I've read really seriously made me feel like, 
I missed something. I felt like a dumbass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just like, what am I not getting about this? Like, yeah. how did, I, I, I don't know. It was an interesting read. And like, I don't know, like her relationship with Graves was very compelling. And I think I just, I oh, wanted to maybe spend more time yeah, there. Yeah. No. Okay. So yes. That yeah. was what I was going to say is I was, I was going to say, really? Cause I, I felt like it was just like, I mean, it was also so neat. Yeah. Like she meets a trauma surgeon who knows what she's right. going through. I and know. is also the exact. Sure. It yeah. was very, just like, well, that's convenient. Like yeah. there's, well, a- I mean, and I, and that's like, that's not, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, I would never question that usually. Like yeah. I am all for a device. Oh, it, sure. But yeah. there was like, I mean, I feel like when it sticks out. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I would be yeah. interested. Like, I want to actually talk to someone who was like fully like, yes, this is the book. You know, I like ask them. I'm going to. Yeah. I want to like spend an hour being yeah. like, but why though? Right. Like, yeah. cause I want to, I do want to understand it. I feel like there is definitely something there, you know, yeah. it's just for me. And I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like I'm a slouch. We read a lot of shit, you yeah. know? And like, yeah. we think about it pretty thoroughly. It's not just like a, well, I don't get it. So, you know, yeah. like, I don't feel like that's how we read books, but there's something. Yeah, I didn't get it, so I read it again. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's more kind of like the target for us. Um, yeah. But no, I will say, though, that opening scene where she's like on the plane. Like, oh it opens, she's on the plane, she's going to Montana. Yeah. And she has bitten through her lip and not necessarily noticed it. And like how other people on the plane are reacting to that is like, it's so like, oh shit. Like, Oh no, it's such a great opening scene. Yeah. And it's like, and it's so like, what does her seatmate say? You should take care of that lady. <laughs> um, but then she's also like, so she's in like jeans and like sneakers mm-hmm. and like a ball cap to hide her very distinctive birthmark yeah. or whatever. But then also a very, a very expensive choker that John Coltrane's wife. Yeah. Is that, is that the jazz? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. 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 No, it's like. <laughs> Yeah, there's no, it's like, so it's so cool. Like the whole, the whole book feels so just like, yeah, cool, cool, cool and coolly detached, you know, like it's very, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot in this book that is very interesting. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, when I do, I, I almost feel like I wanted it to be two different things. Mm -hmm. I would love the family novel. I think like I would love just the novel about her and her parents and you know growing up there yeah and then I would love the I would love the not being able to feel pain novel yeah. and I just like it, it like it feels like two different things I to know me. when I do yeah. like I really try to take it that like okay face value like this is what this is what Stephanie LaCava is trying to like yeah. put out. You know, yeah. like this is the point yeah. she's trying to make. What yeah. is it? And I just, I don't know. I also want to talk like her, I, I forget her friend's name. She's got a, like a friend. Lucy. That she, Lucy. So Lucy, she's staying at Lucy's family's house. Lucy and the, Lucy is father is a very, very famous film critic. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they have some simpatico. Yeah. Yeah. There. Um, and she met Lucy at Brown before she got kicked out for drug paraphernalia. Um, and they have this, like, it's it's really interesting because her dynamic with Lucy is, like, it's unlike any other dynamic she has it's in the novel. It's so earnest. They're super earnest. Lucy is very honest with her. And, and very and very uh, loving. Yeah. Like, it seems like, I mean, Lucy sounds like a therapist. Mm-hmm. If a therapist... Like, never wanted you to make changes in your life. Well, and also, I think it's compelling, this idea that, like, at some point in her history, the protagonist's history, Margot, she went to school. She made a really real connection with this person. And even though she hasn't been able to replicate this connection with her other uh, relationships... She checks in with Lucy once in a while, and Lucy is like her sort of, I don't know, it's like she's her Jiminy Cricket or something. Yeah, you know, like, her, I mean, Lucy is like 
the moral center of the book yeah. a little bit. Like Lucer, Lucy is saying the quiet part out loud, right. I think, always. Which is an interesting fact. There are so many interesting facets of this book. Yeah. Like, I do, I, I, I do feel like this book is worth the time. Even though it's flawed. Even though it didn't get me to where I necessarily wanted to be. I wanted be. 150 more pages. Yeah. I yeah. would have I would have hung out for that many more pages. Yeah. But I also like there's part of me that's like, well no, but that's like not the story she's trying to tell. But I don't I, I guess I guess where it comes for me is like I'm not fully sure what the story she's trying to tell is. Yeah. You know? Like again, I wanna talk to I wanna talk to someone personally who's really into this yeah. book. And I wanna know like what is it that did it for yeah. you? Because I feel like Again, like, I feel like that's where I go all the time is like, no, I'm just personally missing something. Like, it's hard for me to trust my own reactions to things sometimes, especially after reading so many really glowing reviews. But I feel like so many of the reviews are just like, like, they're really big on the premise, but like, yeah, they don't explain no, to it's me. A, it's a fun idea to think about. Yeah. 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 I mean, it um, is. Again, like. I, I get the non-feeling parts. Like, I do, on a personal level, get what that feels like. But also just, I don't know. There's something. It, it feels a little, um, I, I mean, it feels a little obvious. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, I think yeah. y'all, any other people, <laughs> if anyone's listening to this. We feel so ambivalent. <laughs> you should read I Fear My Pain Interests You. And, and send if, us an if email. If it resonates with you, please send us an email yeah. about it. What our, is our yeah. What is our email? What is our email? We're, We're on gonna... Instagram, too. We're at dummy.copy. Dummy.copy.tpg yeah. on Instagram. Slide into our DMs. I'm really, I really, truly am interested. Like, I no. want to know. Like, if you read I Fear My Pain Interests You, and it, you're like, no, I get it. Like, so, I want to hear about yeah, it. Yeah, like, no no notes. No. Let let me know. Yeah. Yeah. D- double barrel. Just, like, blast me in the face with with your opinion about this, because I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Because I do. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I just, there's just, like, some little piece that's missing for me, and I don't, I don't even know exactly what it is. Hate Yeah. But Flea Miss Snow liked it. Yeah. Uh, also, we can hear the restaurant washing dishes. I know. So it might be time to sign up. Might be time to go. Um, <laughs> but thanks for hanging out with us. Honestly, 100%. Yeah, no which, notes. Which, as you know, means violence is an amazing book. No notes. No. <laughs> and I fear my pain interests you. I want to hear about it. Yeah. Slide into our DMs. Dummy.copy.tpg on Instagram. It's easy because it looks like spaces. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Love you.